Well, how is everyone today? Happy New Year, everyone. Are you still half asleep? Happy New Year. Uh, it's hard to believe it's 2020. How many of you years ago thought 2020 just seems so far out there? It'll never, ever get here. Well, guess what? It's already here. It's already here. It came in last week. I'm looking forward to 2020. How many are actually honestly looking forward to 2020? Three or four of you. That's great. How many are actually looking forward to 2020? It's a year of opportunity. Well, as we go into this new year, I'm starting a brand new sermon series called The Circle Maker. Uh, there was a book written about 2011 about prayer uh, from a pastor uh, by the name of uh, Mark Batterson in hopes that it would help change the way we pray, change the way people talk to God, change the way people ask God uh, for different things. It was all about prayer. And I just want to say up front as we get started into this series, we're only using this one main story in this book, mainly as an illustration, I, maybe I should say inspiration, describing prayer. You know how it is sometimes and many times I try to use examples to prove a biblical point. Sometimes there are examples in my everyday life. Sometimes there are examples of stories I've heard to prove a biblical point. Well, this prayer that Batterson is describing is actually a model of praying with not just faith, but praying with what I would call real faith. There's a difference in saying you have faith and really having faith. Do you realize that? It's an example of praying with real faith. You're just like me. In my own life, I have had times where I've had situations come up, problems come up, and I try with all of my might to fix those problems. We all do that. And I don't take it to God in prayer. And with me, a lot of times, I don't take it to God in prayer simply because I don't think it's big enough to take to God in prayer. I don't really want to bother God with it. It's like, God, you've got bigger fish to fry. God, you've got people with bigger problems than I have. You've got wars to worry about. You've got famine. You've got sickness and disease. A whole lot bigger issues than mine, God. Or sometimes we run up against some things that are really tough. And you might say, well, gosh, my situation is totally impossible. I think it's really too big a prayer to put in God's hands because I don't even know if he answers that big a prayer anymore. How many have ever, if you're honest, have ever thought that? I mean, we all have. As human beings, we've all been there before. We've all done that. But the Bible does say this. It's a very short but a very powerful verse. You have not because you ask not. That's powerful. You have not, meaning all of us, because you ask not. How many have ever thrown up a few prayers and you're really not believing and trusting God really to answer them? You're just kind of going through the motions, putting them out there as prayers? We've all done that too. Well, the Bible can address that too, and it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we're praying without having any faith, your prayers are probably not going to get answered. God could still answer them, but he is moved by our faith. So throughout this series, I'm going to define a circle maker as a person, a believer, that's willing to pray not just prayers, but bold prayers. So to set this up, I'm going to look at some scriptures, but we're going to look at a story that's told in this book called The Circle Maker um, that will help us maybe get a picture of what God expects from us in, uh, in our prayer life. 
So if you don't know uh, what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence. And the story, silence from God. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about silence between one another, but God for centuries had sp- spoken to his people through prophets, through angels, through however, his writings and everything else. But during this 400-year period, he goes silent. But during this 400-year period is when this particular story we're going to look at out of this book takes place. Um, remember, all these happened, things happened in the Old Testament. God goes silent. And then the New Testament starts out with what? If you remember, we just celebrated what it was about, the birth of Christ coming into this earth to be the sacrifice for us all. Um, the Old Testament, if you remember, stands for the Old Covenant. They were in, under the Old Covenant law. The New Testament were under the New Covenant, a covenant of grace. How many are glad we don't live under the Old Covenant law? I sure am. For one thing, we're not sacrificing animals all day long. Amen? I'm so thankful that we're under a covenant of grace. But even though God was silent in those 400 years, Jewish historians were still keeping records. They were writing down everything that happened all day long in, the, uh, in a book called the Tanaim. And a man named Hani, who lived 63 years before the birth of Christ, he lived during a time where there was a severe drought, three, three and a half year drought, where the, it rained not at all. Hani, was, Hani became known as a rainmaker. And one day he had just kind of had enough of this whole drought situation. And he thinks to himself, even though we haven't heard from God, I'm thinking he can hear from us. So he determines in his heart, even though they haven't heard a word from God in 400 years, he determines in his heart, he's going to pray and he's expecting and believing God to hear his prayers. With that said... How many of you have ever had a time in your life where you've lifted something up in prayer and you felt like God was a million miles away, that God was silent? He wasn't hearing or listening to your prayer. I think we've all been there. But it's amazing what this haunty guy does. He takes his six-foot staff, takes it in his hand, and he draws a circle in the sand all the way around him. He puts down the staff, kneels down in the circle, looks up to God, And he says, God, I'm going to be praying in your great name. He said, God, I'm not leaving this circle until you answer my prayer. God, in front of this whole crowd, and, uh, uh, you know, they're all watching him. In front of this whole crowd, he says, God, I'm not leaving until you make it rain. Well, guess what happened? The rain started falling. But it was only a few drops. It just started sprinkling, not enough to do any good. Well, the people were rejoicing over every drop, every drop that came down. Well, Hani, still kneeling in the circle, raised his voice above the celebration and said these words, Not for such a rain, God, have I prayed, but for a rain that will fill cisterns and pits and caverns. Well, guess what happened next? That sprinkle turned into a torrential downpour. Eyewitnesses recorded that the raindrops were all the size of eggs. And it rained so hard and so fast that everyone scrambled to the Temple Mount to get on higher ground because of the flash floods. But Hani stayed right where he was within his circle, and he prayed and made a bold request to God. He said, God, I'm not praying for a sprinkle. And God, I'm not praying for a monsoon. I'm praying for something in between. God, I'm praying for a nice, even 
springtime rain. Well, guess what started happening? God shut off the heavens from the downpour and started a nice even springtime rain. His prayers were answered. This guy, Hani, was immediately celebrated as a hometown hero, especially by the people whose lives he saved. He became known from then on as the guy who called down rain from heaven. But some in the religious group of that day, the Sanhedrin, took issue with Hani and his prayers, basically saying, you can't throw demands out there at God like this. That's dishonoring God. Maybe it was those same people that criticized Jesus for healing that man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. I don't know. It could have very well been. But they threatened this honey with excommunication. But because this miracle was undeniable, he was celebrated. He was honored for his persistent prayer. And I'm only using this story of honey because it's a great illustration of being focused in our prayers. And as we go into this new year of 2020, I believe if you're going to have the best year of your life, we're going to have to be more focused in our prayer life, more focused on our prayers. If you want laser-like sharp vision for 2020, some of us are going to have to change our prayer lives. Some of us are going to have to get a whole lot more serious about our prayer lives. Let me uh, tell you what Ann Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, said about prayer. She said, when I draw a circle in prayer, I am not doing so literally and demanding God answer everything in that circle. She says, I'm focusing in on what I can wrap my mind and my heart and my prayers around. My nation, my state, my city, my neighborhood, my church, my family. And instead of praying generally for all of America, she says, I concentrate on the world between my own two feet, so to speak. God gives me a promise or a word for what or who is in my circle And I simply pray his word back to him. She's saying, I believe and trust him at his word, and I just take him up on his word. So today we're going to get into some scriptures that might surprise you, but God is still looking for circle makers today. Do you realize that? He's looking for people in this world today that are willing to draw a circle around their prayers and stick to it. He's looking for people that that will dare, I'll say dare, to pray bold prayers. And let me say this, if your prayers aren't impossible to you to accomplish on your own, then I'd say when we pray those kind of prayers to God, we're almost insulting God because we're not depending on his divine intervention. But you ask God to part the Red Sea. You ask God to stop the sun in midair. You ask God to uh, pour down the rain like he did. You ask God to float an iron axe head in the river. God jumps into action when he hears those kind of prayers. And you know why? Because we're exercising faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to move God. There's nothing that God loves more than answering prayers. Amen? Fulfilling His promises. Performing miracles. Fulfilling dreams. You may not realize it, but that's who He is, and that's what He does. How many have ever heard this scripture? It says that God will give you the desires of your heart. He didn't say, I'll give you the wants of your heart. He says, I'll give you the desires of your heart, especially after those desires become his desires. But be honest, how many are still praying and believing for a certain dream to come to pass? Or anything else that might be in your prayer life wanting to come to pass? Or you're praying for someone that's going through a hard time, maybe in their health or whatever else it might be, 
and you're praying that God would show up and do a miracle in their life, I promise you this, God is ready, willing, and able, but he's also waiting. I don't know your circumstances today, but I'm pretty confident you're only one prayer away from a miracle. I'm pretty confident you're only one prayer from having a promise kept or a dream fulfilled if we'll just hang in there in prayer. It's all about persistence. And to see these things come to pass, I think we have to come to terms with a very simple term, but it's a life-changing truth. You realize God is for you. God is for you. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just tell them, remind them, say, God is for you. Do that for me right now. God is for you. And if you don't really believe that, we're going to keep praying these timid little prayers. But if you do believe that, I believe it will move us into praying some big, bold, audacious type of prayers. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, it makes an amazing statement. If you believe, that's critical, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. So go back to Hani again. He drew that circle in the sand. He knelt down, looked up to God, and said, God, I'm not going to move from this circle until the rain comes. He prayed that prayer without a shadow of a doubt, believing that God could and would deliver on his promise and answer his prayer. But I think when we go to God and draw a line around our prayers, a lot of times we're not really expecting God to answer those prayers. We might be going through the motions, but we have a lot of doubt when it comes to that prayer. You realize when it comes down to it, prayers are actual prophecies. They're predictors of our spiritual future. I believe who we come, who we become as a person, as a follower of Christ, has a whole lot to do with our prayer life. And I'll just say this up front. God wants to answer a whole lot bigger prayers than God. Help me find that special parking place at the mall. You know, right up front, a special place. Today we're going to be looking at another story in the book of Joshua. Most of you are familiar with this story, probably heard it since Sunday school days. But Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 16, it's a story about some walls that fell. Anybody kind of know what I'm talking about? The walls of Jericho. I want to read through this story. Um, I want you to catch some of the details in it. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. So God says, March around the city of Jericho one time a day for six days. Verse 4, Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day march around the city seven times. So he's saying on the first six days, just march around the city once a day, and on the seventh day, march around that city seven times. If you add the seven and the six, you end up with 13 times around the city. He says, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. We'll skip down to verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the trumpet, seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. 
But it says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled. That's an important word right there. They circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet's blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And if you know the story, you know what happened at that moment. The walls came tumbling down. And this is no small thing because those were massive walls. They were six foot thick at least, made of mud, brick, and stone with a 50-foot upper wall on top of a lower wall. So these were massive. And when it came to the promise that God had made his own people about this whole marching thing, it looked like he had promised something that was totally impossible. And his battle plan seemed a little crazy. I mean, think about what God is asking his army to do. Your entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, you're to march around the city seven times, blow your horns, and shout. What a, what a battle plan, amen? And the walls are going to come down. I'm sure every soldier, when they heard that, thought, say, what? God, what about the battering rams? God, what about scaling the walls? God, what about shooting flaming arrows over uh, those walls? God, what about cutting off their water supply, doing something like that? No, that wasn't God's plan. Instead, he told the Israelite army to basically, first of all, for the first six days, silently circle the city. And he promised after circling 13 times over seven days that the walls would fall. How many know when God makes a promise, and you know it's a promise, it's going to happen? It's going to happen regardless of how impossible it might seem. But the amazing thing is, after seven days of circling Jericho, God, whether you realize it or not, delivered on a 400-year-old promise that he had made to his people. To me, that proves a big point. Just because you don't see it happening does not mean God's uh, promises, have, promises have expired. Do you realize that? Maybe some of us are still counting on God to do something and we're almost given up, giving up if we haven't already given up. There's no expiration date on uh, God's promises at all. And I believe Jericho stands and falls as a testament to the simple truth that if you keep circling your promise, you keep believing and trusting in God to fulfill that promise, God's going to eventually, in His perfect timing, deliver on that promise. Amen? That's comforting to me that even though I don't see anything changing or anything happening, and I've been there a lot, this story helps me to realize, stay in my circle. Stay in my circle. Keep praying. Keep trusting. No matter how crazy that battle plan uh, might have seemed. You know, when I'm, uh, you might say, well, why are you hooking up this story with that story of Hani? Why would you do that? Well, I think there's a good reason, and a lot of scholars believe the same reasoning. It's believed that as the uh, Israelites circled that city of Jericho all those times, that's where Hani got the idea of making a circle and saying, I'm going to stand in this circle. I'm going to stand in this circle and believe above and beyond my circumstances. I'm going to circle that fact that it hasn't rained in three to three and a half years, and I, my people desperately need water. What was he doing? He was circling his prayer. He was circling his prayer, keeping it in a circle of prayer. So with that said, let me ask you a question. What do you need to circle in prayer in your life? What do you need to see as your Jericho? We all have those things in our life. We all have those Jerichos in our lives. But what is it God might be saying to you right now 
keep it circled in prayer. I believe some of you had it circled in prayer and you let it go. The Bible says we are to pray without ceasing. Keep it circled in prayer. Pray without ceasing. What is it in your life that you need God to come through on? What promise are you praying around? What miracle are you marching around this morning? And I'm sure every one of us can think of something in our lives, maybe something you've been asking for, or maybe something you haven't been asking for because you either think it's too big for God to answer or too small for God to answer. Bottom line is drawing prayer circles is important because you know what that does? It identifies your Jerichos. It gets you focused on what your Jericho and your trouble might be. We need to define what claims, uh, what promises God wants us to make claim to. That's a big part of our prayer life. That's a big part of our faith life. The miracles that God wants us to believe for. The dreams that God wants us to chase and pursue. God's not against us chasing dreams. Do you realize that? I believe God is for us chasing dreams when they're His dreams. Um, so it's important. But then you need to keep circling. Don't just chase it for a while and give up. Keep circling it until God gives you what He wants. You notice I didn't say what we want. Until God gives you what He wants, what His will is for that situation. You know what our trouble is? A lot of times we get into these prayer modes and we're praying like we should be. But what are we treating like God like? A big glorified genie. Amen? We pull out this huge list of, of things that we want, and they're things that we want a lot of times and not necessarily things that we need. We treat Him like a, a genie. Lord, just make this happen. Let me tell you, God was never created for us to give Him orders. Amen? We're not to give Him commands. In fact, the Bible says His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways and His thoughts are higher than our ways. Much higher. High as the, the heavens are above the earth. So His ways are so much higher. But the problem is, most of us don't really know what we want or don't get what we want because we don't know what we want. Think about that. Sometimes we don't even give it enough thought to really realize, is this good for me or is this not? Or do I just want it? Truth is, we've never circled God's promises for our lives a lot of times. Isn't it the same with our kids? I mean, every one of us as parents, if our child asked us for something and if it was something good for them, we'd probably do everything in our power to deliver on that to help that, uh, make that happen. Think about this. How many times have your kids circled you? Think about it. How many times have your kids circled you and insisted on something? Probably more times than we want to admit to. My mother-in-law, Jean, and, and my son, Austin, are very close. They have a very tight bond, and I think a lot of it start, uh, started because we lived with uh, Grandma Jean for the first year of Austin's life when we were building our home. And then a few years later, uh, Grandma Jean moved in with us, and she lived, us, lived with us for like seven years until this miracle happened, and she got married. <laughs> but, but Austin, he has circled Grandma Jean so many times. I mean, he circles her because he knows if he keeps asking and he keeps asking and he keeps asking, eventually he's going to get, amen? She's going to come through for him. Believe it or not, when he was, I think, 11 years old, he wanted to go to some teeny bopper concert up in Chicago, music concert, and he circled Grandma Jean again, and he asked her and he asked her and he asked her, and she agreed. And then she circled Cheryl, my wife, and insisted she take him up there. 
But the whole story, the whole point of the story is Austin knew that if he just kept being persistent, keep asking and asking, asking, Grandma Jean was going to come through. Well, there have been times as a parent, and I'm sure you parents know this, that you sometimes have to say no. You have to say, like we have to to Austin, no. We have to stand firm, say, no, Austin, you're not going to do that. You're not going to get that. You realize that's kind of the way it is with God. No, that is the way it is with God. God's always going to answer your prayers in one of three ways. Either he's going to say yes, he's going to say no, or he's going to say not right now. Does that mean we keep, stop believing and stop asking? No. We keep praying circles. We keep in prayer. There's a story in the Bible called the persistent widow. How many remember that story? Uh, we don't know what her situation was, but we do know that she went to this judge. He turns out to be an evil, unjust judge. But she goes to him with her problem, which what must have been major. We don't know what her problem was, but we do know this about that uh, widow. She was persistent. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. We don't know if it was something to do with her uh, children or whatever it could have been. But she went time and time again to this judge. He kept denying her to hear her case. But then he finally realizes this woman's not going away. This woman is not going to give up. This woman is not going to take no for an answer. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 4, listen to what the judge's response is. Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. My question to you is, does the judge know that about you? Does the judge know when it comes to your problem and your situation that you are that desperate or you are that determined to keep it lifted up in prayer? I think that whole story about the persistent widow is saying, don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Keep on praying. Think about it. In the story of them marching around the walls of Jericho, what if they had quit marching on the sixth day? Think about it. What if they had marched, quit marching on the sixth lap around the city on the seventh day? What would have happened? Nothing. They would have missed their miracle. You know, when it comes to seeing your miracle, you might not see it in the first day, the first week, the first month, the first year. And I think, but don't give up. I think a lot of us give up because we live in an instant gratification type of world. That we want it and we want it now. Amen? And when God doesn't answer our prayer immediately, all of a sudden we think, well, He's abandoned us. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't love us anymore. He's not even listening. Well, I want you to watch a powerful little clip from a guy that I love, a minister that I love, named Louis Giglio, but brings out some really big points uh, about prayer. Take a look at this little video. Amen. Amen. When you call on the name of Jesus in prayer, things happen. Louis couldn't have said it any better. Things happen when we pray. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more boldly? Why don't we pray bigger prayers? Pray more persistently. Another miracle actually took place in Jericho. It was uh, recorded in Luke chapter 20, verse 29. When Jesus was on his way out of the city of Jericho, when two blind men holler at Jesus, and they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops, but he, ans he asked them kind of a crazy question. What do you want me to do for you? I'm thinking, Jesus, really? Did you really even have to ask that question? I mean, it's pretty obvious what they want. They were blind. They needed their sight. Yet, you know what Jesus did? He forced them to define exactly what they wanted him to do. 
He made them verbalize their desire. He made them spell it out for him, and it wasn't because he didn't know what they wanted. It was because he wanted to make sure they knew what they wanted. Amen? Sometimes we don't know exactly what we want. And by want, I mean what we really need. That's where drawing prayer circles begins, actually knowing what to circle. Sometimes we're out there circling all the wrong things in our lives. For starters, I think we need to define our Jerichos, whatever that might be. What would you say if Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you have an answer? What would you say? And I think many times we don't have an answer. We don't know what to say, and we're not asking God for things. And sometimes it's because we don't realize how big this God is. We're thinking it's too big a prayer request for God. That's why we're content to pray these small, boring, uninspired prayers. Maybe we're afraid that God can't handle it. You may not want to admit it, but some of us have been there before thinking, God, you really uh, can't handle this prayer. Listen, there's nothing too small or too big that God can't handle. Nothing at all. And if you don't realize that yet, then you don't know this God I'm talking about this morning. These two blind men didn't realize who God was when they called on his name. When they called on the name of Jesus, they needed an encounter 